I'm not reading these communist books to you guys. Don't you got any real stories? This is episode 32 of They're All Going to Laugh at Him. I'm Alex Sprigg. And I'm Jess Geyer. Uh, what'd we watch today, Alex? We watched Bedtime Stories, a Adam Sandler picture through Disney for the first time, uh-huh. I think, ever. Yes. And um, I think definitely a kid's movie. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a kid's movie. And surprisingly, I liked it, which doesn't happen with kids' movies. Yeah, I I enjoyed my time watching it. Uh, why why did we watch it? Because I, I'm confused. Why are we watching all these Adam Sandler movies every day in a row for 60 days? Well, some stars are distinguished, and they may not take an active part in anything. They must look on forever. It is a punishment we put on them for something they did so long ago that no star now knows what it was. So the older ones have become glassy-eyed and no longer joke. Slapstick is the star's language. But the young ones still wonder. They're not really friendly to Adam, the only star who didn't grow up. And as such, we must ask, does he deserve all the hate? Is that from Peter Pan? Yes, that's from Peter Pan. (laughs) Um, Because, spoiler alert, this movie was just Peter Pan. Yeah, it it really was. Uh, Well, for me... I believe the children are our future. I don't, actually. I think time travel's really going to fuck things up. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of that one. That was, that was just straight up a good joke I put out there. Oh, oh I bragged on that one for like a week. Yeah, it was very good. Um, yeah, b- Bedtime Stories, Disney slash Happy Madison, you know... Yeah, not, I, I, I thought it was very interesting. Not a mix. Um, I think you really see that often. Obviously, Disney only really cares about money, but they tend to be more child-friendly. And Adam Sandler is kind of not child-friendly, I guess. No. I would not consider him a child-friendly actor. I mean, I know Nickelodeon's given him a lot of awards. He's He's won those Teen Choice Awards for years. But, you know, like... They're not like, yeah, I want my kids to go watch whatever. I'm trying to think of the worst movie. The Hot Chick. Deuce Bigelow. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, they, they're they normally skewing towards the college age white male, I believe. Yeah, I, I agree. And then this one was, I mean, yeah. Uh, tell me tell me about the, the sand layer on this one. All right. So this movie, I'm actually given a two star sand layer for. I would agree. Because... It stars Adam Sandler. It is partially produced by Happy Madison. But, like, I, I think I think that might not be the best way of deciding the Sandler as I get deeper into movie land. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tim Hurley did take the story and help with the screenplay. And I consider Tim Hurley a core part of the Madison crew now. Yeah, I I agree that he is. Um, and I was actually pretty optimistic when I saw that he was one of the writers. The other mm-hmm. writer, Matt Lopez, doesn't have like a lot of writing credits, at least according to IMDb. But they're all kids movies, it seems like. Yeah, so he, he definitely was there to kid it up. Yeah, to kidify it. Mm-hmm. Although I will say... The kids' movies, not to, not to shit on some random person, the race to which mountain is only good for that one meme um, where the rock's looking back in the car. I haven't Great seen stuff. it, so I can't tell you. Yeah, you've seen it. I'll show it to you later. But the no, I know the meme. Of, oh, I haven't seen the movie. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, okay. 
Uh, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, I love Jay Burchell. And I know you love Nick Cage. Yes. But that movie was garbage. It was dude. very it was very bad. It was a very bad movie. Nick <laughs> Cage's movie. hair was some of the worst Nick Cage hair. And you think that like Nick Cage usually, like the worst his hair is, the better the movie is. Not really mm. true for this one. And one of the most interesting things about that movie is that for some reason Nick Cage plays a more reined in Nick Cage while he's a five hundred year old wizard. I know. Why is that the movie he doesn't go absolutely crazy in? I don't know. Yeah, it was a weird decision. Um, speaking of like sorcerers, speaking of sorcerers apprentices, let's let's talk about how many times this Disney movie made you laugh. I don't know. I was okay. like actually now, transitioning I, into something else. I don't know where I, I was going I, with I, that. It, it it almost worked. You almost had it. Um, <laughs> but I got thirty six laughs out of this movie. Okay, that's which, more than uh, I had. Yeah, it's it's a little longer uh, of a movie. Uh, I think at 99 minutes, but, you know, pretty good for a kid's movie. Um, there, there were some good laughable moments. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the laughing moments came for me um, during the end, toward the end of the movie when he's afraid of fire, which for reasons that we'll get to. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I will say one laugh was due to the fact that Nick Swartzen wore a uh, construction worker's outfit, and that made me laugh just seeing him. Mm-hmm. Um, it also made me laugh when I saw Alan Covert wearing a wig. So like <laughs> the again, worst wig. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a purposely terrible blonde wig. So I mean, there, there's something to be said that my sense of humor has been dialed to the point where like you know a funny a funny hat got me that could kill me. So you know, <laughs> thirty four. Um and. Do you want to guess what did the critics rate this movie and what did the audience rate this movie? Um, I don't think that critics were kind to this movie, but I don't think that they were absolutely searing on it. I'm going to say that um, I'm going to give it very similar to what I just gave the house bunny, a 40 and a 60. The critics gave this movie a 26 and audience 55. I'm, I'm going to remind everyone yet again that the animal received a 30%. Yeah. The idea that this movie is worse than the animal is in just incredible. Yeah. How much like, did you say the audience liked it? 55%. Okay. But you know you know who, though, is not going on to Rotten Tomatoes and rating and reviewing movies is children. Ch- children? Yeah. Kids aren't doing That's, it. Um, let, let me throw some of these ratings up here for everyone. Giovanni C. says, Wow, Adam Sandler, what a good way to ruin a children's film with your lame antics. Bedtime Stories was a terrible film that gave Disney a bad name. Because that's what gave Disney a bad name. (laughs) Um, Sylvester K. said, Gosh, no, the film isn't absolutely a waste of time to watch. None of the characters were likable, not to mention the performance of Russell Brand, a.k.a. Stoned English Prick. Prick? Uh... I th- and then Bradley W. said, uh, who I do think is Bradley Whitford, um, <laughs> said, I think I finally can admit that I hate Adam Sandler. He is just ought funny a more hell when was she really funny? I think it was a very drunk Bradley Whitford. Yeah. He <laughs> won't call me back. I fucking hate him now. He's just wasted writing Rotten Tomatoes reviews. <laughs> I, I wanted to star in Click. <laughs> I wanted to be the bad guy in this one, too. <laughs> Ever since Billy Madison. 
He hasn't called me. Um, so long. Um, but yeah, so grown men seem to hate this movie for some reason. Uh, I wonder why. Maybe it's because they miss their childhoods very, very much. Um, but talking about uh, being a grown man, how about we recap this movie? Yeah. I, that I'll, almost worked. Yeah, it's, it's okay. A- this is going to be the episode of Bad Transitions. Uh, this is actually a pretty long recap, but um, I, I want to preface this by saying I think that this movie has one of the better plots of, yes. of any of the movies that we've seen before in that I, like it, the the it's very plot driven and the pacing is very good for me and in fact I, I would say it's one of the few movies i was interested in the outcome like yeah. it wasn't i kind of thought you know something good's gonna happen at the end mm-hmm. but i didn't know how they were gonna arrive there and that is a first oh yeah and i was actually surprised the entire way uh, which, yeah. for reasons that I'll get to, too. They were clever a lot in the movie. But Super anyway, clever. Continue. Yeah, the narrator of this story is deceased motel owner Martin Sorry, Martin Bronson, who is going to be Adam Sandler's dad in this movie. Martin Bronson's played by Jonathan Price, uh, Marty or Martin, whatever. Uh, his two children are Wendy and Skeeter, which is our first clue that this is kind of a Peter Pan story because you have Wendy and Peter, Wendy and Skeeter. Um, but Skeeter is by far the more enthusiastic of the two. But turns out Marty wasn't so great with money, so he ends up selling the hotel to uh, Mr. Nottingham, Mr. Um, Barry Nottingham, who is a British dude, uh, who promises that he'll let Skeeter take over the hotel when he grows up. Uh, we fast forward and uh, now Skeeter is the maintenance guy, again, played by Adam Sandler. Uh, and it's announced that Mr. Nottingham's future son-in-law, Kendall Duncan, will take over the hotel, which is expanding to a new location to make a, a really big hotel. Uh, and Kendall Duncan is played by Guy Pierce, so you know he's the villain. Yes. He does a very good 80s-style villain. Yeah. Uh Skeeter goes to his sister Wendy's house, um, that's Courtney Cox, by the way, uh, for the first time in four years. And it's been a while since he's been over there because he didn't get along with her husband, who has now left her and the kids. Uh, We never see him. We never really hear what happened with him. But, you know, it's a Disney movie, so the kids have to be, they can't have two parents. Gosh. Yeah. Uh, um, I I also want to throw in, interestingly enough, we get that uh, Skeeter had once punched the husband because mm-hmm. he disliked him mm-hmm. and yet they still portray the kids as missing the father instead of making him evil which i found to be a more nuanced look than <laughs> yeah. most people would think out of how like it like know, in parenting happens dickie roberts where where yeah. the dad was just like they just hated him the kids yeah had no <laughs> oh love my for dad him. sucks um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, he goes over to Wendy's house, and um, we learn that Wendy is the principal at her kid's school. She's kind of a stick in the mud, as in, like, she doesn't let her kids have TV, she doesn't let her kids have sweets. The birthday party that they're at, it's um, the daughter, Bobby's birthday party, uh, is kind of, you know, they're not having fun. Uh, but uh, she is, has to interview at a school in Arizona because her school is being shut down. Um, so she needs Skeeter to help watch the kids for a week. And one of the school's teachers, Jill, will help out. Well, 
Jill and Skeeter's first interaction does not go very well. They start off on bad foot. Jill's played by Carrie Russell, by the way. Um, and uh, the kids, though, they like Skeeter for the bedtime story that he tells him. Uh, he tells him a bedtime story because, you know, they don't have TV to watch. So he kind of sends him to bed a little early. And the story that he tells is an allegory set in a castle about what happened to him that day that he didn't get to take over the hotel chain and that it was somebody else, even though he had been working at that hotel for 25 years. Uh, but the kids suggest that instead, the, his allegorical character, Sir Fix-A-Lot, should be given a shot to take over the castle and also that it rains gumballs. And uh, he ends up saying that real life happy endings don't actually happen. Uh, but the next day, elements from the story become real. He does get that shot to... Uh, to take over the hotel. And uh, he, the Mr. Nottingham even says one of the words that the kids mispronounce. So he knows something's up. And when he's driving, um, he's, he, his car uh, kind of stalls and gumballs start falling out of the sky. So he thinks that, it, that it's raining gumballs. And he like, is like, okay, that's, there's something freaky going on. And it takes absolutely no convincing for Skeeter to 100% believe that these bedtime stories are magic. Um, we are shown, though, that a truck has been in an accident above him on the highway and is spilling gumballs from, uh, like, a haul truck. Oh, yes. Um, to give us a sense of maybe he's getting in over his head. Yes. And also that these are, this is fairy rolls here with how, how the wishes can be twisted around. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next day, well, that that day, that night, actually, um, he tries to tell a story to the kids about how he gets a Ferrari. He's a cowboy and he gets a Ferrari, which is actually just a horse. And like, he's really trying to trying to get this to happen. But the kids aren't entertained by a story where the character wins right away and there's no struggle. So they add some other elements to it like that. He saves a damsel in distress and gets kicked by a dwarf. Um, I, I do want to point out that this is where we get Rob Schneider's uh, racist portrayal of an indigenous American. Mm -hmm. um, they just can't, they can't do it, man. No, I mean, but to can't. be fair, this is a Disney story and, you know, he is kind of Peter Pan and you know what they had in, in Peter Pan? Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying it's Rob Schneider. Oh, so yeah. like they, they've had uh, like actual, they, they've had indigenous people play indigenous people mm -hmm. in previous movies. They could have called them. You know, that guy's still acting. Or, um, you know, it didn't have to be an indigenous person at all. It didn't have to be a Native American character. It could have been oh, yeah. another cowboy. There, it, it is also almost strange to have a uh, a Native person with a basically car lot full of horses yep. selling horses. Yeah. Like, that probably wouldn't really happen in that no. situation. I'm sure it did happen, but the way they presented it was, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, I, I do want to, because I didn't make this clear earlier, that the stories that he tells, we actually get to see them acted out on the screen. And that's a really fun element to the movie that I, that yeah. I liked. And it's all the same actors being put into these uh, mm -hmm. stories with elements of the stories changing as they make changes to the stories, yes. which is very interesting. Yeah, it's super cute. Um, the next day he doesn't get a Ferrari, uh, but all the parts that the, that the kids told do come true, including getting kicked by a dwarf. Um, so he figures that it's the kids who have to tell the story for the magic to happen. 
So the next bedtime story, he tells a daredevil romance story and the kids include a part where he takes the fairest maid in the land to lunch. Actually, I think it might be the gladiator story. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. One of the stories he tells a daredevil romance story. Um, it goes daredevil. The daredevil is the gladiator story. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. And the kids include a part where he takes the fairest maid in the land to lunch where all the girls who are mean to him in school and they're uh, are, are at the at the place where he goes to to lunch uh, and they are jealous and do the hokey pokey and then the story ends because patrick the the little boy says that abe lincoln shows up in the cave where he and the fair maiden are about to kiss and skeeter ends the story saying like that doesn't make any sense and kind of yells at them about it so the kids don't want to tell any more parts of the story so the next day uh, the fair maiden turns out to be Jill instead of Violet, Mr. Nottingham's son, like he thought it was going to be. The daughter. Um, yeah, the daughter. Do- sorry, daughter. Yeah. Um, but he freaks her out with the Abe Lincoln thing, which, because he's like afraid that Abe Lincoln is going to show up, but it turns out just to be a penny that falls um, in the pier that they're standing under. Uh and uh, then we have the, the last bedtime story where the kids have, um, they have, Skeeter win the right to take over the hotel. Like the whole deal with Mr. Nottingham is that if he comes up with a better theme for the hotel than Kendall does, he gets to take over the hotel. Um, so he it, it they he wins the right to take over the hotel in the bedtime story, but it, they end it with him being incinerated. Uh, because like he told them after the first story happy endings don't happen in real life and he tries to get them to like sit, take it back and to tell more of the story but they fall asleep and he he spends the whole next day being terrified that he's going to be burned alive essentially um which this is where most of my laughs came just him being extremely paranoid um he goes to the party slash presentation it's mr nottingham's birthday and it seems to be like hawaiian themed like luau themed so there are there's like a big pig roast over a fire there's um fire dancers like he is scared here he gets the like he gets a promotion he ends up having like a good he has like a good presentation he has a good pitch uh but he loses that promotion when he panics and uses a fire extinguisher on a volcano themed cake uh and he, he he gets fired, and that's how the incineration thing turned out to play out in the wish or the bedtime story. All in the meantime, it's revealed that the new hotel's location will be at the elementary school where the kids go to that's being shut down. Where his sister works and where Jill works also. Yeah. So Jill is really upset at Skeeter because she thinks that he knew, but Wendy's just mad at him because he told her that he told her kids that there are no happy endings, and she was really hoping that he would be able to rub off his, like, happier nature on them and his more fun-loving nature on them since she's always kind of been the the stick in the mud. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of, he's sad, and he, he's, like, wondering what to do when the, it's not really the fourth wall breaking, but his dad slash the narrator tells him in the voiceover that we've been thinking has just been narration tells him that the hero is in his bedtime stories always win at the last second. They always find out a way to, to, to save the day. So he comes up with a plan. He ends up meeting with the zoning commissioner. Who's one of those girls that used to be mean to him in high school. Um, and he gets the new hotels location canceled, but 
He also got a beachfront lot available for the for the hotel location anyway. So the hotel still gets to be built, but on the beach instead. Uh, and then he rushes over with Jill on a stolen motorcycle to the demolition of the school, which for some reason uh, allows a crowd really close and they're using very dangerous <laughs> explosives <laughs> where they have to turn off their cell phone. That's why they can't just call them. Well, I like they, that, how they that had was to... a lie. He was lying to stop anyone from stopping the demolition. Oh, see, so it would have worked on me. It would have worked on me. Yeah, I mean, the 80s criminals are nefarious, but they're a little smart. Yeah, so uh, Skeeter does knock out Kendall just before he explodes the school, which has uh, Bobby wait, wait, wait. and Patrick in it. <laughs> okay, I, I, I do want to point out that he drives a motorcycle, jumps through a train, and then hits uh, a sign, or drives under a jungle gym so that Jill can grab on, hits a jump, grabs the the tether ball ball, and then spins around to kick him in the face to knock him out. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's so In a cool. rad action scene. Yeah. Just need to throw <laughs> that in there. It was yeah. rad. Um, and they all live in very typical Disney fashion. We get a, They all live happily ever after in that he and Jill get together. The school is saved. The hotel gets to be built. Uh, Mr. Nottingham, who th- throughout the whole movie has been germophobic has overcome his fear of germs and then he goes back to school to become a school nurse and he works at the at the school his daughter violet takes over the company instead and marries uh russell brand's character who i haven't really mentioned but he is just adam sandler's best yeah, friend he's just a bit he's not like a huge part he's adam sandler's best friend in the movie and the two villains which are kendall and also the hotel concierge uh aspen played by lucy lawless who's also kind of a small part. They've been having an affair behind uh, Violet's back. They end up working as uh, the, like, room service and housekeeping at the new family motel that Jill and um, Skeeter run. Mm-hmm. So, like, literally everyone lives happily ever after except for the two villains in very traditional um, Disney fashion. Yeah, it is a fairy tale. Yes, and I thought it was pretty well done, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Even, like, from the framing of the movie, because the first bedtime story, we get the setup of the plot, right? Mm-hmm. The second bedtime story, we get, um, uh, like, the what he wants to have happen thing, and it doesn't yeah, work it, out, it, so we get the complication. Third bedtime story, we get uh, the romance involved. And then the fourth bedtime story, I thought that that was interesting that it kind of broke that mold where you don't have one, two, three plot points like in a traditional fairy tale. That fourth one is what introduces that final conflict. And I thought that was very, very interesting to have a fourth beat. And I thought that made a lot of sense because the idea of storytelling is very germane to the entire movie. Yes. So showing um they, they mention um even in the mini stories he's telling like this one has no arc why like that it's not a good story you need to have an arc to your story mm-hmm. um and then um when he says there's no happy endings and them decide there is i mean they go through really just a step-by-step hero story but they do it in a w- good and interesting way basically so that's not like a dig i don't think yeah and i mean there is also the character, Mr. Nottingham, I was really expecting him to be set up like one of the major villains. 
Yeah, because he's supposed to be a reference to the sheriff of Nottingham, right? Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. exactly. And I, he didn't end up being a traditional villain. He ended up being pretty reasonable, even though he didn't give Marty, or not Marty, uh, Skeeter, the original promotion. And even though he took over the hotel chain in the beginning, and even though he fires uh, Skeeter at the end, he doesn't get... He doesn't have the punishment for his misbehavior like you expect out of a Disney villain. Instead, he's more like, he, he reminds me more of like the Sultan in Aladdin. Yeah. Because the, the dad is like, he's not a good guy in the movie. Um, he's being influenced by the real bad guy, the royal vizier Jafar. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It, it's an interesting way to frame it because I, I wasn't sure if he was going to be bad or good throughout it. Mm-hmm. Especially... I don't know. It, it it was kind of a weird character. I think that was like probably out of the main characters. That one was kind of the one that didn't didn't really hit as well. Mm-hmm. Because in my mind, he was he was set up very badly. Like, or he was set up to be a bad person. Yeah, he really was. Mm-hmm. Um, he basically does a hostile takeover of uh, Skeeter's father's motel. He's seen to be one of the richest men in the world, I believe. Yes. And his daughter's set up to basically be uh, Paris Hilton, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of people are just, you know, they, they'd throw that into a villain uh, position, even though uh, that character wasn't in this movie. Yeah, she, she you would think that also she would turn out to be a villain, but it, it ends up being the concierge instead. She ends up being pretty good with kids. She ends up being pretty reasonable. Um, and she ends up getting with Russell Brand's character, who, do you, did you catch what his name is? Uh, Russell Brand's character? No, what was it? Mickey. Oh, Mickey. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, uh, I mean, that's what his role was, was to be just a, uh, you know, goofy, uh, like, up-in-front person who's, like, you know, a face for the thing. Mm-hmm. I, that, that's pretty interesting. That was well yeah. done. Yeah, I, I think, really, a lot of... Most of this movie, I think the script was mostly Happy Madison. I think Tim Hurley was responsible for most of it. The reason why I'm looking at the other um, writer, uh, what's what's his name? Martin, not Martin, um, Adam, no, Matt, sorry. Matt yeah. Lopez has, looking at these, we have Sorcerer's Apprentice, we have Escape from Witch Mountain. These are both uh, Disney movies, Mm-hmm. too so i think that he's like a, the disney writer just to make sure that disney's image is not yeah nothing, stained. nothing <laughs> yeah. bad happens yeah i mean disney has done movies before that are a little bit more adult yeah uh, i mean definitely nowadays especially mm-hmm. and they, i mean they've done ones that are absolutely fucking horribly racist and stuff too but like this know, one at moments mm-hmm. yeah but they're they're trying to clean that up um is basically the, yeah. the idea behind it. I I just think I the, the fact that Disney is involved with this movie really does paint a lot of my perceptions of some of the themes of this movie. Yeah, because it it is very. I would call it a for for the first three parts a very anti capitalist movie mm-hmm. because that is what's causing bad things to happen to people, right? And. Uh, Skeeter's desires for material wealth are constantly getting in the way of actual growth. Right. But then they end the movie with him getting wealth. And not only that, the villains have to work for him. Yes. Like, yeah. 
And it's, he, he doesn't fight against the system. He's always fighting with the system. I was, yes. I was actually surprised that he didn't just try to get the hotel shut down. No, he still wanted the hotel built, just not at the school. Well, it's like, interesting because the, the hotel in his mind is literally his father's like namesake. It's, it's everything his father was about. Right. He doesn't realize his dad's about the stories. So instead, he, he concentrates on the hotel. And I find that interesting because it's his dad was bad at business and got the hotel, but he remembers the hotel and not his dad a lot. And in yeah. the end, he embraces what his dad teaches him and not, you know, the idea of hotels being good to, to save the day. But he can't give away the fact that he loves hotels. I mean, he's been living in one his entire life, literally. To be fair, I would not. I would also, you know, <laughs> hotels are cool. Oh, the, I like them a lot. <laughs> I, I love staying in hotels. I, I lived in a hotel for three months in my childhood. Um, and it was the best three months of my life. I watched The Matrix three days a week or three times a day for like three months. All great. children love hotels. Yeah. And that is something that they say in this movie. Like kids love hotels. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Hotels are sick, dude. I, and just, just, just the breakfast. It. Yeah. Oh, breakfast alone. You got me. It doesn't matter how bad the breakfast is. Remember that really crappy hotel we stayed at with the very bad breakfast? Which one? We, oh, it was for Gen, Gen Con. No, for oh, Yukon. Yukon? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, that was one of the worst hotels I've ever been in. Yeah. Um, but it was our, fine. Our Gen Con hotel had a good breakfast. I was thinking of the, the first night um, when we were near the airport. Oh, I don't, maybe that was they, the one. They, they were out of muffins. I was pissed. And they only had muffins, so like it sucked to be out of muffins. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but anyhow. No, but still, what I was saying is even that bad breakfast, still better. Still the magic of the hotel makes it better. So one thing capitalism's done right is hotels. <laughs> the, I do want to go back. The Yukon Hotel, uh, none of the lights in our room worked. So I went down to the front and asked for like uh, a light bulbs. And the guy just handed me four of them and was like, you're good. And I'm like, well, I guess I am. But like, I oh, guess the ceiling light's not changing. The lamp shocked you. Yeah. Then I got electrocuted because the lamp was not a... Uh, was not grounded or whatever is frayed i'm like this is this is great yeah and it smelled like weed and cigarettes yeah whatever it smells like weed but people are smoking inside and that's fucking gross yeah but anyway back back to the movie <laughs> um i want to talk about how the movie is uh it's both a story about capitalism but also colonialism yeah so I, I think inherently when you have some a plot in literature where there are takeovers and and land being um, rezoned, that for me re- immediately draws up in my mind a colonialism theme. So uh, oh, right at first, the person who's doing the takeover of the hotel, even though I don't think it's a hostile takeover, really, he says that he's doing it for the sake of, of Marty, so he doesn't lose his hotel. Well, he does, so I know what you're going to say, but he does then tear down his hotel and build a giant one in its place. Yes, one that he thinks will be better. That yeah. is a colonialist story, the idea that we have to go in here and save this thing by creating the image that we would use for it. So that's yeah. inherently colonialist. Plus, he has a British accent. Mm-hmm. For some reason, the hotel owners 
have a British accent. And in fact, both people who end up being at the head of the hotel both have British accents. Violet and Mickey are both British. Yeah. And they, uh, they do mention that they have hotels from, it was Belgium to Beijing, um, Mm -hmm. which is an empire. Yeah. And they're not super far away from each other. Like, California to Beijing is a larger distance. I think they were just picking B names. Yeah, I know. But I'll just, you know, point out they they have them everywhere. Mm -hmm. Also, Belgium's not a city, but Beijing is. Yeah. Well. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we have that element there. Then we have the new hotel location taking over more land and, and uprooting people so that they essentially become... You know, if we were using this as an allegory for colonialism, they essentially become refugees. They have to leave. They'll have to go to other schools. They'll have to find new jobs. So we have that going on there. And we also have at the end, the birthday party is a Hawaii party. And if we're talking about colonialism in in the United States, my mind, I often think about, uh, apart from the indigenous, like the, the, the genocide of indigenous people here in the United States and Canada, but Hawaii is a very recent colonialist takeover that our country forced upon um, a, a sovereign nation, even though and, that was technically peaceful. And it is also uh, by far the place where people think of hotels being put in and turned into a destination and such. Yes. Like, there, I, I, I don't know if this is true, but I'd say Hawaii probably has the most, like, hotels per, like, square mile, right? I, I couldn't tell you. I don't know, but it's... It, it seems true. Therefore, it is true. It's very touristy, and that is a big problem for... Uh, a lot of Hawaiian natives have spoken up against against that tourism, the over-tourism, and also, you know, white people relocating to Hawaii, um, which drives up prices. It's, it's a problem. Um, so... Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think you're spot on that with like the resort culture and the hotel culture there. And also Disney, you know, as a mega corporation like it is, Disney is responsible for a lot of colonialism, not not necessarily land, but also yes, land. But this cultural kind of colonialism where it dominates so much of media um, and it it takes stories and and westernizes them in some very problematic ways. Like if you look at the story of Pocahontas, uh, their movie for Pocahontas, deeply problematic. Um, I mean, it's just, that's very Disney of of this movie to have a colonialist theme. And I, I, thought, I thought that was pretty interesting that they would have such a critique like that. But again, I think Happy Madison was you know, mostly yeah. responsible for the script. I, I think they were probably at the the helm of that message, whereas Disney, Disney was, you know, childing it up a bit. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, like, you don't see, like the quote I started with, the I'm not reading these communist books to you guys, they're making a joke out of the fact that uh, Skeeter doesn't see the difference between, like, environmentalism uh, and communism, which is, like, a very... A very, like, good critique of that type of person who doesn't look too deeply into things, basically. Yeah. It's the, if it's bad, it's communism. <laughs> yeah. um, and he's a character who thinks hotels are the greatest thing to ever, like, be and only wants monetary things. So, like, yeah, 
someone who would use magic to get a Ferrari over something else probably thinks (laughs) granola is communism. And that's one of the themes, I think, is it's not an intentional theme in this movie, I don't think, but the idea that capitalism limits the imagination. I, I think that's intentional because literally having to work all the time and being so in demand from the people above him takes Skeeter from being an interesting person to basically like he he doesn't have time to tell stories and he's like not able to do these things. And I find like that's not really a mistake, I don't think. Okay. Like they could have easily made him, you know, always writing his little stories on the side. But instead they made him, he's boring when we meet him. He doesn't have much going on. I can definitely see that. Um, I can see why why they might have made it intentional. But I, I definitely, like, the, the way that capitalism limits the imagination in this movie, it, it does pop up over and over. So maybe it is more intentional. Like, we have Kendall. His original idea for the theme for the hotel is essentially a copy of the Hard Rock Cafe Hotel, or the Hard Rock Hotel, I mean. And, which, and let's point out, Skeeter doesn't really have a concept for the hotel. He's like, waiting for magic to help him, basically. Yeah. And his his concept is... Don't make it a home away from home because that's not what a hotel is. Let's make it like a fun adventure, um, which which isn't. I mean, actually, according to Disney, Adventure Zone, I think, is like a real thing. But yes, I have, I the, have, I have been there. <laughs> yeah, uh, to an average person, that's not a theme. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not a theme. Um, but you know, he still wins. It's fine. He, he, yeah, he did but, a good job for a guy who had a bee sting <laughs> on <yeah>. his tongue. <laughs> On, on that point, though, I want to talk about the fact that uh, Adam Sandler in this movie is supposed to be Peter Pan. Yeah. And it's interesting for two reasons for this is the idea of what Peter Pan represents is someone who never grew up, um, someone who can use their imagination to bring things to life. Mm-hmm. And on the other side is that Peter Pan most famously was played by Robin Williams, a person he's emulated before in his work. And... Robert Williams played Peter Pan as an adult who had forgot how to imagine. That is a really good point. So I think it's a good retelling in that case. I mean, they're mashing a lot of stories together on purpose. You know, that's why the love interest oh, yeah. is just named Jill. Mm-hmm. You know, all that stuff. But it is interesting to see, you know, a guy who forgot to imagine and now worries about business, you know? Yeah. Like Hook. That was that movie's called Hook, right? Yes, Hook. Yeah. That is a really good point. I didn't even think about that. Well, I thought about the like the the parallels with Peter Pan and imagination and everything like that. But yeah, and you know, a lot of people have like called Adam Sandler a sort of Peter Pan creator because he tells these immature stories. He quote never grew up. Yeah, and I I actually think that's one of his good qualities. Yeah, but a lot of people see it as a bad quality. Whereas when you look at Robin Williams, people loved him for that. You know. Yeah, um, which is, there's a lot of reasons I think that that could be. Um, But what I find interesting about it is how people who have, quote, unquote, grown up, they make really bad uh, jokes and movies a lot of the time. Yeah. Very serious people who don't really dip their toes into fun don't make engaging fun things to listen to or watch. Um, 
you know, like me, who I don't I don't make jokes anymore. Therefore, everything I make is also boring. It's true. But it's also why DC is so inferior, in my opinion, their movies as compared to Marvel, because DC just doesn't have the whimsy that Marvel does. Yeah. Marvel's also Disney now, so. I mean, there's so many ways you can bring in different media this up. But like, I think in general, if you aren't embracing the, the silliness of stuff or the fun of it, it really shows up in the work. It does. Um, I like. I don't think um, there's like the workman like, yeah, workman like attitude where you go in and you get it done and blah blah, um, and that's fine. But if you want someone to like really kind of take hold of the story and the creative work you're doing, I think you might need a little more um, out of left field type stuff. Honestly, that's why I didn't like Inception all that much. Because it took all of its ideas super seriously. Whereas, for example, The Matrix, which is also a very serious movie, does have a little bit more whimsy. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, also, I'll just, like, the action in Inception, if it's supposed to be an action movie, is not as good as a movie that came out 11 years before in The Matrix. Um, because they don't do as much fun stuff with it. Right. Like, the scene where Joseph Gordon-Levitt is doing all that cool stuff in the hallway. Yeah. Amazing. Great. Love it. They they really don't play with their ideas enough. No, they don't. I want it. Especially, like, that one dude who's dying in it. You know, let them, let them do something crazy while he's dying. Like, let him throw himself off a building because he's going to die and go to that other place anyway. Let him try to take a bunch of people out with him. Something like that instead of I'm just going to slowly pass away, even though I know this is a dream. Like, <laughs> that's that's where the stuff doesn't hit for me in that movie. Yeah. But, like, again, like, the scenes where they're showing the stairway trick, great. 10 out of 10. Love that part. <laughs> okay, let's stop talking about Inception. Let's go back to uh, this movie. Yeah. But I, I think that those were actually, you know, those are really good points, too, about this movie is that it lets itself have a lot of fun and that's why i found it very enjoyable and i'm so i'm so shocked that not as many people liked it yeah i i mean for me i think the worst part is the ending um the capitalist dream um mm-hmm. where i know you were arguing in our, our show notes that it was uh liberalism you know the you have to work for your your big piece of real estate and stuff Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I saw it as that in order to ever uprise against a, uh, you know, someone who owns a bunch of hotels, you need literal magic on your side. See, the thing is, I don't see it as them uprising against the hotel. They're still really working within the same system, which is so liberal to me. Yeah. And I, I think just the argument breaks down for both of our sides because this is a story where magic is happening. That's fair. Yeah. It's 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 inherently unreal. <laughs> yeah. I did read one person's review that says uh wouldn't it be interesting if Skeeter is like delusional through this whole thing and the answer is no. No. That would not be an interesting story at all. I hate like why do people always want to do this to media? Like can't a story just be a story? Does it have to always be <laughs> Yeah, this I, character I like has mental illness. No, this this reaction to like when magic's in a movie, 
maybe instead it's some kind of like other thing and then there's times where you just have to take the story at its word that it's it's doing what it's doing you know it's yeah fine. in in this case especially though with this movie if we accept that adam sandler's character is delusional we have to accept that we as audience are delusional because before adam sandler is introduced to magic we are introduced to the voiceover and that voiceover is part of the magic like so we yeah. are integrated into part of that. Like, come on. Ugh, gosh, what a what a silly thing to say. Anyway. Yeah. I mean also you don't you don't name your characters Peter and Wendy if it's not about Peter. <laughs> oh, of course. But uh, do you think that this is more of a Disney movie or a Happy Madison? Actually, let me ask the question this way. Let's talk about why this is and isn't a Disney movie, and then let's talk about why it is and isn't a Happy Madison movie. Um I uh, Disney movies are everything now. There's not really a yes or no answer for that. <laughs> um, so, I I I I'm I would like the other question, please. Where is it more Disney or is it more Happy Madison? Because you know Disney does Star Wars now. That's the most popular Antifa story around. And yes, that is what it's about. Just if you didn't notice, it's true. It's anti-fascism. That's the entire movies. Yep, you gotta live with it. They're terrorists. Those rebels yeah. are terrorists. Yeah, and uh, maybe, based on who's giving you the news, the terrorists in a situation might be the good guys. That's what Star Wars is about. <laughs> that, Freedom that's, fighters that's are good. That's kind of what <laughs> You Don't Mess With the Zohan was about. Yeah. <laughs> so, Disney isn't what it used to be. If you're saying, is it more of a fairy tale movie? Or is it more of a Happy Madison? That is a more different question. That's kind of what I'm asking. Yes. Um... I think it's more of a fairy tale. Okay. It, it's as if a fairy tale is told and they threw Happy Madison bit parts in. I could see this being realistic to the kind of stories that these guys would tell their kids, though. Fantastical, where they're just, like, telling their day in the form of, uh, like, you know, fantasy. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's a really good strategy for a lot of things. For me, I think that this is... I'm, I'm going to say something bold. It's a quintessential Happy Madison movie. It hits all the marks because every Happy Madison movie we've watched has had this, at least the Adam Sandler ones, have, have had this element of, of magic and, and fantastic, you know? That's true. It is just more, um, for the first time, his character doesn't start as the strong man we see who can do anything. Mm-hmm. It's quite the opposite. He's very worried to do anything. He mm-hmm. doesn't think he can do anything. Although I will point out that someone who can fix a TV and an HVAC system is a super genius. That's yeah. incredible. But <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to notice that in the movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> the Adam Sandler's character does end, though, as a Superman who can, when they get on a motorcycle for the first time, ride it uh, perfectly through you know jump it through a train and then kicks a man jumping off it grabs his stuff. wallet as he's jumping through the train yeah um it's he he becomes perfect which yes. is what the superman stereotype is is someone who can solve everything and the question is how they're going to solve everything and it's interesting to see that on camera um and i think of it a lot again that movie hook where he doesn't realize he's Peter Pan and has all these powers and can solve everything because he forgot. And in this movie, it's just, you know, learning to tell stories again and learning to tell your own story so he can save the day. 
I also think that this is, this movie is trying to say to the audience, like, hey, this Happy Madison brand that people keep criticizing, like, the things that you keep criticizing about Adam Sandler are valuable. This imagination and this fun. He mm-hmm. even brings back, like, his babbling thing. Like, the thing that he did in Billy oh, Madison. Yes, yes. Um, I really wanted to talk about that and I forgot about it. Yeah, he, he brings the Adam Sandler babble voice back. And, like, that is the thing that saves the day for him at first. Yeah, one of the things that happens, I want to explain it more in detail for people yeah. who aren't going to watch this, is anything the kids say happens to him in the stories. So the kid says, well, you're an alien in this one, because uh, it's a sci-fi story. The other guy is dressed up like Ming the Merciless from Flash Gordon. He says, well, you're an alien. You should have to talk in an unintelligible, babbling way. So he has to make, you know, his signature goofy noises. And then his sidekick, Russell Brand, translates for him. So when they get to the actual time he's uh, supposed to give his speech, his tongue is swollen from a bee sting. And he keeps, you know, making babbling noises. And Russell Brand is translating. And the main dude, the sheriff of Nottingham, says, like, It was really sympathetic, you being unable to talk. I really liked that part. Yeah. And it's it's just one of those things where, like, a lot of people don't like a movie or a product if it's not for them right then. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, sometimes silly voices are just for kids. And that's okay. It's true. Uh, I think that he really did make this movie for kids, too, because in the first bedtime story... His wife, his real life wife and child show up in the movie and his child has a speaking role, like a very short, like one line, like because he's a very little kid or she. I couldn't tell. But yeah, like he has kids now when Mm -hmm. this movie is out. And I think that he like a lot of comedians when they have young kids, they want to they want their kids right now to be able to see some of and laugh at and understand some of the movies that they're making. That That's reasonable to me, you know. If I were a movie maker and I had made a lot of, like, adult kind of crude movies, I wouldn't want to wait for my kids to become, like, teenagers to watch it. I, yeah, wanna, that, I would want to make something to, sh- to share with them now. That and for me, this story has a lot of the things someone like Adam Sandler might want to like impart to their kids Mm -hmm. the idea that you know there are no happy endings is something a lot of people you know kind of say and he is willing to go directly against that idea Mm -hmm. i don't really think um you know everyone's situation doesn't end out happy but that's not a reason to sit around and be sad was basically the moral of the story it's not necessarily that everyone's ending will be happy it's that not attempting will make sure it's not happy. Mm-hmm. I don't like the the idea that, you know, you have to go out there and work for it to like get your happy ending and like all that nonsense. Because, you know, sometimes it's just not going to work out. Right. But specifically not doing anything will ensure it doesn't work out, basically. Right. Um, unless you're already rich. Yeah, uh, and then you can do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like don't get addicted to hard drugs and you're basically in. Mm-hmm. which is the Billy Madison story. Yeah, it's true. That is exactly the Billy Madison story. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. Yeah, it was pretty good. I, again, 
I don't think this is like a 10 out of 10 movie, but I'm putting myself a little bit in the this isn't for a 28-year-old dude without kids movie. Right. But even in that area, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, would I watch it again? Probably not. I get it the first time. There's not a lot to dig out there. But for like kids, this would be a great movie for them to watch, and I would I would like show it to like a eight year old if I had to watch an eight year old for an hour and a half. Oh yeah, I would I would have no qualms in showing. Well, I would have one qualm. Yep, I'd have one qualm. Um, and who boy, um, I, I I'm not gonna say it out loud, but did you see the the name of Rob Schneider's character in this movie. Remember when I was going over the Rob Schneider names? Oh like yeah. The last yeah, I saw it. That one was a that was the Ufa of Doofas. Rob Schneider, please can you can you stop? I Adam Sandler, why are you letting him do it? Why are you letting uh, him do this? I don't like Disney, why are you letting him do this? Yeah, Disney. You know, well Disney I mean, I think Disney's pretty racist at times, but like you know, they're publicly trying to not be seen as racist, so they probably shouldn't have that in. This movie yeah. came out 12 earlier. years ago. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Well, what are you going to do? Are we watching anything with Russell Brand? Not Russell Brand, oh my gosh. <laughs> Rob Schneider? Are we watching anything with Rob Schneider in it t- tomorrow? No, but I'm I'm excited because we're, we got a good two-movie stretch. I don't think the next movie is good, but I am so excited to talk about it. We're watching Paul Blart Mall Cop. I'm so excited for this one. Ah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyone <laughs> listening to this who's very confused why we would be excited to watch Paul Blart Mall Cop, it's, it's just we're my brother, my brother, and me fans, and till death do us Blart fans. And I know so much about these movies, having never seen a second of the film. See, I have seen the first one. Oh. But I know so much more about number two, you know, yeah. <laughs> than I know about number one now, because I've only seen Pablo Mall Cup once. And I, I do, like, I remember a lot about the plot from the first one, but not everything. Uh, so I'm very excited to <laughs> watch this one with you. It's, it's going to be a time, good or bad. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you can find our podcast at Laugh at Him Pod on Twitter. You can also find our games at wannabegames.com. I did put in the, in the notes here that I think that this movie is a great idea for a TTRPG, and I want it to have, like, I want to make one like this where you tell you tell a bedtime story, and then you have to figure out how to make it happen in I think in you tell... Game. What what you're going through at your job currently, or like your 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 big social struggle, and try to tell that in a fantastical way for people to play through. Or you have like your fantasy, like you tell a fantasy story, and then the next like the next session or like the next half of the game, you're in a modern session with with a uh, setting with no magic or anything. You have to try to make the major plot beats happen still. Ooh, I like that. That's good. Yeah. I'm going to make that. That's our next mini game, I think. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, you can find those games at wannabegames.com. Uh, we we almost got into a little um, game dev session there. We When we make mini games, we often do it live on Twitch. So you can check us out there, too, at twitch.tv slash kittycrusade. <laughs> um, and a lot of those are on our YouTube now um, at wannabegames. The quality is not super great on those because we didn't 
we we had the AC running because it was really hot in our old place. So yeah, yeah, it's fine though. It's not as good quality as this, but <laughs> right. uh, you can also support us on pa- uh, Patreon at patreon.com slash wannabe games uh but instead why don't you donate to the bail project i'm getting upset right now at my twitter feed for kind of jumping off the black lives matter train and they're not posting as hard about it anymore so Mm -hmm. keep supporting them i mean it's still a movement that's going on they they need your support just do it yeah you can you can find my tweets I'm, i'm tweeting about black lives matter and other stuff too at at joska and I'm at Kitty Crusade. And they all lived happily ever after, and they took my wife, please. The end. <laughs>